It's uh, wonderful to be back in C3 again. And uh, I didn't say it in the first service, but you know, it's just been great to have a friendship with uh, Steve and Angie and to be in a church that has uh, a bit of depth to it. Every church has to have a shallow end, but it needs a deep end as well. And uh, just thank you for maintaining your faithfulness to the gospel and the person of Jesus. It's, uh, honestly, it's, it's fantastic. We've, uh, we're over babysitting for our grandchildren. Uh, we went to Haverhill yesterday. Why? Yeah, somebody does ask that. We, couldn't, we wanted to see Batman, the Lego movie, uh, which if you haven't been to see it, don't bother. Uh, but we couldn't get into the view or the, the Grafton Center. And so I Googled it and it said Haverhill, which I thought was about three minutes away. But we, we went to Six Mile Bottom. We went to Little Withingham. We, we, the Satnav took us around most of Cambridgeshire. And uh, it, it was as my grandson, who's five, said, are we lost, Papa? I said, no, it's a shortcut, son. He said, well, all, all I can see is millions of fields. But it was, uh, it was uh, exciting. Anyway, today I'm uh, finishing your series on questions that you have asked, or if you hadn't, you should have. Uh, and uh, this one is, is Jesus really coming back again? Now, for some of you, it'll be the first time you've ever heard a sermon on this one. For some of you, it'll be 40 years since you heard a, a sermon on it. It's just the, the nature of it. And there's several reasons for that. I suppose they, they vary from, num number one, it's been a bit of a contentious issue in the past because people get caught up in the when and the how and all the rest of it. And uh, people, Christians have fallen out over this subject. There have been some unhelpful books and uh, even films made on the subject. And the people have veered away from that. I think probably the, 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 the biggest reason is that in recent years, when I say recent, I mean 30 years, the whole subject of the kingdom of God has become very uh, predominant in, in our preaching. And it's the idea that the, the reign and rule of Jesus is not just future, but it's here and now. And I think it was to reduce the balance that we were, we were seeking to um, uh, influence uh, our society, to touch people's lives. And so we emphasize the, the now of the kingdom as opposed to the not yet of the kingdom. And that has kind of gone by the wayside. So this morning is about the not yet. Because if there's a kingdom of God that is now and not yet, it's not yet, it's still to come. So it's really important that we have a think about it. So I'm going to take you through some things today. So listen up and listen carefully. A few uh, years ago, a friend of mine was part of a pastor's group that went to the Holy Land on a publicity tour. Israel were trying to uh, generate a, bit more, a, Christ, a few more Christian tours. And the mayor of Jerusalem came to speak to the group. And as he finished, he said, any questions? Uh, my friend Paul, again from Belfast, shot his hand up and said, I have a question, Lord Mayor. And he said, he asked him, he said, when Messiah comes back to the Mount of Olives, what will you say to him? The Lord Mayor thought for a second and he said, I'll say to him, is this the first or second time you've been here? Which <laughs> is pretty clever. Now, the biblical view of history is linear. In other words, it has a beginning and it has an end. So we start with creation and we finish with the final climax. So it means this, that there's a day coming. Nobody knows when it is. Well, we'll have a look at that. And we should view everything in light of that day. 
In fact, we should live our lives in light of that particular day. Now, the implications of the bodily resurrection of Christ include the fact that he has not, Jesus has not abandoned planet earth and gone off as a disembodied spirit into some spiritual heaven. The king, Jesus, today has a body. He's a human being. What's though glorified and changed, it is as literal and as physical as the day he was here on planet earth. And so in him, in Christ, the restoration of all things has begun. We're going somewhere with this planet earth. Now, we, we may disagree on timings, but most Christians agree that God's program for the future of planet earth is the establishment of a messianic kingdom upon the earth. And I'll, I'll come back to that. Let me read to you Romans uh, chapter 8. It says this, For the creation was subject to frustration. Even the physical creation is frustrated because of sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So even our creation is frustrated as it waits for the day when Christ appears, and even this earth will be changed. And so it's important we understand that there's a new heaven and a new earth, but God will always have a material expression of His purposes. There'll always be a, a material expression of the purpose of God on planet earth. And that is guaranteed by Christ's eternal retention of his complete human nature as well as his human body. Remember, in, in, in uh, Revelation 21, the last view that John has of the heavenly city, the idea of the, the dwelling place of God ruling on earth, is not of a city rushing back into heaven, but it's one descending from the heavens to earth. Scripture reminds us in Acts chapter 1, it says this at the ascension of Jesus. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, two angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. So that begs some questions. Who's going to come back again? Well, interesting, it's this, this same Jesus. They don't use any of his titles, not Son of God, not his divine titles. They used his human name. The emphasis is this, that he will not have changed in the meantime. Of course, as after a long separation, you may think that someone will have changed, but Jesus, according to Hebrews 13, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, some people assume that when Christ ascended to heaven, he went back as the same state as he came. In other words, in a spirit form. The truth is that when in the incarnation, when Christ became a human being, he keeps his resurrected body for all eternity. 
Christ has retained his humanity. In fact, in 1 Timothy, it says this, there's only, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And it's precisely because he's still a man that he can intercede for us with God and stand in the gap and represent us. He is our perfect high priest who can sympathize with us and represent us before God. It means this, that when you were sleeping, there was a man, a human being, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you. There's a man in heaven today, okay? This same Jesus, a perfect human being, is in control of our universe. So the same Jesus, the exalted one of heaven, first who became a baby in Bethlehem, lived as a boy in Nazareth, was a carpenter for 18 years, a traveling preacher and a miracle worker for three years, died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven. It's the same Jesus who will come back again to planet earth one day, no less human than he was when he walked on this, this earth. Quite staggering that, isn't it? Just one change. He now has a resurrection body. It's a, a new body. Uh, which he received before he ascended into heaven. His glorious body has the same appearance. You, you can tell it's him. He's the marks in his hands, and scars on his head and in his side, but no longer subject to the natural process of aging, decay, and death. I think, and this is, can't prove this, at his return he'll be no older, still 33. You and I will have a similar glorious body, but this is the big surprise. We'll be the same people. Oh no, says you. See, this is not reincarnation. This is resurrection. This is not reincarnation. It's resurrection. Reincarnation is that you, go, you die as one thing and you come out something else. So in certain religions, you can go in as a human, die as a human being and come back as a dog. That's not what this is. This is this is resurrection. So apart from the sickness, you're going to get a new body. There'll be no sin. But you're going to be the same person. You, you, I, I, I can see you looking at me. You'll be transformed. Will you be nicer? I hope so. <laughs> but the planet Earth has not seen the last of Jesus. Therefore, if the resurrection is physical, then it has to be local. So where will Jesus return to? Because if the Holy Spirit is everywhere, if Jesus is a human being, his body has to come back somewhere. It has to be to a location. Now, I think it'll probably be Belfast, but, but I, I, don't have any, I don't have any biblical knowledge of that. There's not, that's just speculation, okay? But that's why when, whenever Jesus was going away in the upper room ministry, he said to the disciples, it's better for you that I go away. Why would that be? And he said, I'm going to send you another of the same kind as the, the word, the comforter. And, he, and so, he, so what he says is this. He says, they're going to be scattered to the ends of the earth. They would need the ever-present Holy Spirit with them, unlimited by time and space. But as Jesus had a human body, he could only be one place at one time. And when he comes back again, we're going to have both. The King reigning and the Holy Spirit everywhere. So where will it be? Well, most people believe, because of scriptural references, that it will be to the city of Jerusalem. Wow. 
Matthew 5, he calls it, Jesus calls it the city of the great king. He weeps over it. He says to the citizens, you will not see me again until I come in the name of the Lord. And then he quotes in Matthew 23, he quotes one of the Hallel Psalms sung by Jerusalem pilgrims to prophetically welcome Messiah to come back again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It'll be outside the city on the Mount of Olives. It will be above them. In Zechariah, it says, Zechariah 14 says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. It was there they welcomed him with palm leaves. I was in the Holy Land uh, last year, going again in a couple of weeks with Jeff uh, and Kay Lucas, where we're taking a party with us. And when we stood, for me, the, the awesome thing was standing on the Mount of Olives for the first time and thinking, oh my goodness, the king's coming back. And if he's not coming to this spot, it'll be within a couple of hundred yards of here. It was like, oh my word. It was just, it was, for me, that was the, the highlight of the trip. We will have instantaneously, we will instantaneously receive our new and glorious bodies. So gravity will not affect us. We will all be there if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. When Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, there was all this talk about the return of Christ. They began to worry. They said, well, what's going to happen to the people who die before us? What will happen to us? So Paul writes his epistle, and he writes these words in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And then he makes this very powerful statement. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And if we believe that, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So there's the trumpet blast. In other words, it's noisy. No one will mistake it. Boom! The graves will open. And even though there's only dust, they will receive a new resurrection, glorious body, reunited with their spirits who have gone before. And then those of us who are alive will be instantaneously changed and given an incorruptible body, and we will meet them, be reunited with all those who have gone before us, and we see Jesus for the first time. Wow. Well, how is he going to return? Well, it'll be like his first going, but unlike the first coming in Bethlehem. He went up from the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come back there again. Only two angels attended the ascension, but thousands will accompany his return. Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left hand. Jude 14, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. Only 11 saw him go, but millions will witness his return. It'll be noisy, 
God speaking, the archangels shouting, the trumpet blowing, and us cheering. If you can cheer for a rugby match, and Ireland haven't been cheering, I haven't been cheering much this uh, Six Nations, but we can certainly cheer when the Son of God comes back again. His incarnation was relatively secret, but this will be a complete contrast. Not a helpless baby, but a mature man. Not a single star, but lightning. Matthew 24, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So it will not be in weakness, but in power. Not in meekness, but in majesty. Universal awareness, instant recognition. Everybody on planet earth will know that Jesus Christ has returned. Now, how will they know? Well, CNN. I mean, you know, obviously somebody won't be, you know. But we'll all know. You'll see it in newsflash. Something incredible has happened in the Middle East. You go, what's that? We need to watch this. This is going to affect us. Now, you won't be saying that because you'll be up with them. Amen. It's incredible. There are three different words in the New Testament that are used to describe the, the coming of Christ. And, and I'm going I'm to give you the Greek for them. They're parousia, epiphania, and apocalypsis. Now, some people think that they are, if I can, there we go. Uh, and, and some people think that they are, they, they actually are, speak of different, different comings. I, I, think there, I think there are three terms used to describe the one event. Not the one event at the end of August, but the one event that is the coming of Christ. Perusia, uh, it means to be beside. It's the idea of a king returning home. All the citizens are awaiting his arrival. It's the idea of, of you know, we're, we're supposed to be waiting his return. So it's the idea that he is, he is close by. Epiphania means appearing on the scene. It's the idea of in the, the second Lord of the Rings movie, you know, when they were at Helm's Deep and all was lost and suddenly a light shines on the hill and Galdorf brings the trees with him and the, the other people, I can't remember who they are. But anyway, it's the, it's the idea of the cavalry riding in. So it's, it's the idea of the king coming back to save planet Earth. And number three, Epiphania, it's the idea of appearing on the scene. It, it, it's the idea of, um, uh, I suppose it, it, it means the best way I could look, whenever the queen uh, celebrated her diamond jubilee and the crowds gathered at Buckingham Palace, the balcony where the royal family come was empty. But suddenly the curtains are pulled back, the queen stepped forward, and everybody knows it's the queen. Everybody cheers. It's that idea of, of uh, um, uh, wearing the full regalia. Christ will come back in splendor and in glory. The common word is come. Jesus is coming back again. He will be and is the conquering king. He's coming to save his people. Every knee shall bow, even stiff ones. Now, when will Jesus come back again? This is the part you've all been waiting for, isn't it? My, uh, our grandson, Charlie, who's five, he said in January uh, to us, or to Priscilla, actually, he said, Granny, did you know Jesus was coming back again? She said, I did know that. He said, did, do you know when? She said, no, I don't know when. He said, could you have a guess? She said, no, I couldn't really. He said, I thought he was coming before Christmas, but he didn't. 
So he, he, he had an awareness of it, but nobody knows. And, and, I, and I'll come back to that a little bit later on. But the Bible tells us it will be both sudden and at the same time there are signs proceeding. Now, it's a bit of a paradox, but perhaps look at it this way. There aren't, there aren't, there's not, I don't believe there's a two-stage coming, but there are two groups of people at the one coming. To one group, it will come as a total shock, and the other, no surprise. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking about it, he compares it to the days of Noah. Most people are getting on with their lives. He talks about eating, drinking, and, and giving in marriage. In other words, life goes on as normal, unaware that the flood was to come. But there's seven, there's, there's Noah and seven others are ready. They know what's coming, but they also know it won't happen until the ark's complete. So there's a sense in which we're waiting for, for it to happen, but there, there are signs, and I'm not going to go into them today. But you get that dual response right throughout the New Testament. To unbelievers, the arrival of Jesus will be as a complete surprise. He will appear, as it says, he says himself, as a thief in the night. You know, two standing together in the field, one is taken, the other left behind. Two working together, one taken, the other left behind. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, while people are saying, wait for this peace and safety. In other words, everything's okay. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Those who are waiting, us, will have kept their eyes open, keeping watch and being alert to his coming. Now, why is Jesus returning? And I think the more we understand that, the more we, we see how it fits in to what God has called us to do on this earth and how it affects the way we live. Number one, to complete what he began. To complete what he began. Let me read it to you, 1 John 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is will perfectly reflect Christ. Hebrews 9, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sin, the sins of many, and he will appear the second time, not to bear sin. You know, the, 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 the sacrifice for sin is finished, complete. But it says, it says this, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, let me, let me just sort of tease that out a bit. The New Testament is very clear that there, whenever talking about salvation, there's a, there, are, there are three tenses. It says, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So, so you can confidently say, I have been saved. It's not that you're, well, I be. You, you can confidently say, I put my trust in Christ, I'm relying on him totally for salvation. And one day, because of that, I know that I will meet the Lord. That is safe and secure for all eternity. I have been saved. Then it says, I am being saved. And what it means is, I'm working out that decision. The process says that it works out in my life. It, I, I, I work at it and I, look, it, it, I give it something that it looks like something. So it's about working out your, it talks about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we are living for God currently. I am being saved. But then it says, I will be saved. Because 
Salvation in the New Testament and in the Old Testament had always got to do with resurrection. It was never separate from our body. So when it says that we will be like him, our salvation will be completed in the sense that we will have a new body. So he's, going, he's coming back to complete what, uh, what he began. We will be transformed. So it's physical as well as spiritual. Now you said, but you've got to I keep going back to this because it's really important because people don't quite get it. But you say, but couldn't we just get a new body when we die and, and get to heaven? Here's the point. You see, a spirit will do for heaven. But if you're going to be on this earth, you need a body. So your new body will be primarily worked out on this earth physically on the earth. So God has a purpose for the new earth, and it involves you and me. God's saving purpose will not be fulfilled until the entire universe has been restored to its original condition. So it talks about, about ruling cities. I, I, I don't know what that means, but, you know, I'm San Francisco would be nice. You, you know, somewhere, somewhere really nice where it's warm most of the year. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, but there's something. God's got a purpose for this earth and his universe. Wow. Number two, to conquer the devil. To conquer the devil. We believe, Christians believe there's a personal devil. There is a person called Satan with a personality. He has power and authority on earth. He's described as the ruler, the prince and God of this earth. Now, he's no match for God. This isn't the, this isn't the gunfight at the OK Corral. Big shootout at the end. Goodness, is God going to win or is the devil going to win? No, no. His, his outcome is absolutely finished. The final outcome and victory uh, is not yet complete. And there are two kingdoms running side by side, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom, the door from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is still open in this day of grace. And it's fantastic. But there will come a day when that door will close forever, when Christ comes back again. One last battle, and Satan and his forces will be defeated, and he will be banished with his influence, which has held earth in its grip, will finally be free. Now, this is not, again, a physical battle, a nuclear war. Get that out of your head. It is the Son of Man speaking with power. That's what this is. It's the idea that the one who spoke and the worlds came into being, he will speak to Satan, and his influence will be bound and banished from earth eternally. Number three, to command the world, to command the world. He will stay on as ruler to show how it, could, it should have been done. Now, now, try and get your head around this. A world government ruled from figuratively the heavenly city on earth, Middle East, with Jesus, the chief executive, the prime minister, the president, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why in Revelation uh, eleven fifteen it says this, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's the period when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's the time when they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There'll be plenty of food, health for all, even the natural world will change. The lion will lie down with the lamb. It'll be a, a, a period of bliss when the king will rule on earth. And you and I will be on this earth. Yeah, what would that look like? I, I, honestly, I don't know. And I'm not going to speculate. 
But I think it has to... I think Jesus has to come back and show us how it could have been done in the first place. There's plenty of food for everybody on this planet. There, there really is. That, you know, you can actually live in a, in a way that does not harm the planet. And Jesus will show us how that can be done. Nature will be at peace with itself. What an incredible, what an incredible thought. What an incredible idea. Number four, and this is the one people struggle with most, to condemn the ungodly. If there's a day coming, the day when God will bring judgment to this earth. I think, I think it has to happen because the injustices of life demand it. If it seems that evil goes unpunished, please think again. You ever sit and watch television or even things you experience in life and you go, that's, that's terrible. Are they going to get away with that? You know, is, is, that, is that it? Is it just, it doesn't matter the way people's lives are snuffed out, the way people are treated? Here's what it says in 2, two Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm breaking in on a, on a subject. So it said, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. angels. Here's what it says. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So we see that when Christ returns, it'll be in the brilliance of his majestic glory. He will begin by judging the world in righteousness. Evil will be put down. Terrors rooted out. The chaff sorted from the wheat. Why is that? The justice of God demands it. If it's true that God's not going to be mocked, there has to be a day of reckoning. God has to be seen to be just and fair and equitable. It can't be done in private. It has to be seen by all so all will know. There's a, there's a, a verse in Romans that's quoted uh, on three occasions in Scripture, once in the Old Testament, twice in the New, and it says this, and we kind of shy away from it. I always get a bit nervous around it. It says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, what I, what I take out of that is this, that, that, that actually, there's, that's why we don't retaliate. That's why we don't get even. That's why we don't go, I'm going to settle that old score. Why? Because there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Whenever the one who knows everything, I don't know everything. Sometimes things happen, I think I know everything. But God's completely equitable and fair. Why? Because he's all-knowing. He knows everything behind it. Therefore, his judgment has got to, will be fair and perfect. But nonetheless, vengeance is mine. Justice has got to be done. Why? Jesus, Jesus has got to be publicly vindicated. They crucified him as a common criminal. And all must witness the greatest injustice of all time. It's got to be reversed. Also, I think God's people will be vindicated. Many Christians have taken their stand and paid a price, often with their lives. Please, in the, in the West, as in our country, we may be misunderstood, but we're not persecuted. But there are people all over the globe today being persecuted for their faith. 
And those are the people who it says in Hebrews, Jesus is not ashamed to call his brothers. They'll be honored by in front of all those who treated them with contempt and hatred and even murder. There is a day, ladies and gentlemen, when justice will be done and be seen to, seen to be done. It got very quiet in here. People have two, engaged, two appointments. Hebrews chapter 9. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then after that, the judgment. Unbelievers will be judged according to whether they have accepted Christ. Even Christians will have a day of judgment, not judging their salvation. I have been saved, okay? But their service. First Corinthians chapter 3, what did I do with what God gave me? Greatest performance view, review you're ever going to have. No second chances. That's why it's a really sobering, and yet in one sense, it's called our glorious hope. How do you get ready? Just going through them quickly. Number one, with individual faith in Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you personally know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you say, I have been saved. You, you might be on the journey we talk about these days, but somewhere along the line, you have to put your hand up and go, I'm in. So we prepare with individual faith in Christ. Number two, continual service. Let's make sure that we don't give up before Christ comes back again. One of my greatest disappointments in life is Christians who faithfully served God most of their life, and then the last went, you know something? I'm just going to play golf all day and go on cruises. There's nothing wrong with going on a cruise or playing golf. All right? I'm not beating you up for that. But not all day, every day. Come on. Let's not, let's not give up. Galatians talks about, uh, be not weary in well-doing, for if you fit not at the right time, you'll, you'll reap a harvest. Number three, personal holiness. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Number four, continual fellowship. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, don't forsake assembling together. The safety in numbers. That's why I honestly believe in church. I don't think we can make it on our own. We're never meant to. We're people who will make it. When you feel weary, somebody comes along and says, side you and goes, come on, keep on going. So it's co uh, continual uh, uh, fellowship. And in Matthew 20. Four. And, and this, is, this is an interesting one. It talks about, if I could just get it, there we go. Matthew 24, verse 14. And it says uh, this in talking about the, uh, the kingdom of God. This is Jesus talking. He says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will, and then the end will come. And some people believe, and I'm not being dogmatic about it, and the, certainly the Wycliffe Bible translators, they, would, they, they have a, I, I can't remember the number, but there's a certain number of languages, limited, in limited languages, that, that still have to be translated into Scripture. And some people believe that when that happens, everybody will have access to the Bible in their own language. And at that time, the Lord will come back again. And the reason nobody knows when, when it's about, because the, the date isn't fixed. It's not a fixed date. 
It's immovable date because it, it requires that, that we keep on pressing out for world evangelism. So I'd say to you, C3, don't give up. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. With your last breath, please keep crying out to people and saying, there is a Savior. His name is Jesus, and you can know peace with God through a relationship with Him. Global evangelism. A number, number, whatever, loyal endurance, I've called it. In, in a godless world, suffering for Christ and righteousness is a mark of being a Christian. In fact, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 says, uh, it says, I'll never forget those words in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. All they that suffer, uh, live godly lives, shall suffer persecution. And it's the idea of, of, uh, of people, if, uh, here's the point, while in the West, you may, as I said, you may be understood, but you're not under persecution. But if you decide to live a godly life, honestly, it'll cost you. Ultimately, it might cost you promotion at work. If you want to stay a virgin before you get married, it'll cost you. There's a price to be paid. But I think in light of, what, in light of Christ coming back again, we need to have loyal endurance. What in, in the sure and certain hope of Christ's return, that we will receive our reward and we will reign with him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is coming back to planet earth. Wow. Some people are going to get a rude awakening. Let's, let's not turn a blind eye to this, but let's live our life in light of that day when you will see him. Says that, Romans Every eye. Not only will you see him, we will have to stand in front of him. Now, in, in all the billions of people, but you know, it's a supernatural thing. But somehow you will get the chance to be eyeball to eyeball with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Honestly, I can't wait for that day. I remember the day I met George Best, who some of you will remember as the greatest footballer ever to walk on planet Earth. Okay, but that's it's a matter of personal opinion. And I played a game of snooker with him. It was the greatest day of my life, but it fades into, into nothing compared to that day when Jesus is going to come back again. I think the call to commitment today is as strong as it was in the days of the New Testament as we live our lives in light of his glorious appearing and we stand before him. I don't know about you, but these are the words I would like to hear from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into your rest. He's coming back again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're not left, that this world is all there is to it. As Paul said, if all we have is this earth and there's no resurrection, the way he put it was, I am above all men most miserable. Father, we thank you for the life that we have that we are by faith grabbing great handfuls of the kingdom which is to come and hauling them into the future to transform our world. But we look forward to a day when Christ returns and reigns on this earth and we will stand with him. Father, we say, as they did 2,000 years ago, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. We look forward for that day and to that day in his name. Amen.
you just say that? What Paul finished with there, that statement that's made in the New Testament, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Just say it after me. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, I don't think hardly any of you said that, so let's say it again. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. This is real. This is real. I'm going to ask this as we close. Maybe in the room here and you've never submitted to Jesus Christ. We used to sing a song, or rather a singer-songwriter called Larry Norman did. Uh, I wish we'd all been ready. I wish we'd all been ready. There was some dodgy theology attached to some of the great tune, great singer. But the truth is still somewhere in there. We need to be ready. Ready for the return. There are signs, but no man knows the hour. Friend and I used to, in our teenage years, and this is repentance right now, we used to mock some of the guest evangelists we got in because we knew how they were going to end their service and it was a bit like I'm saying to you now. One of the things they used to say was, what, what if you walk out of here and you're knocked over by a car or a bus? Do you know you're ready? And my friend and I, Trev, I remember one time nudging one another and laughing no here we go here's the being knocked over by a bus or a car story when we walked out of the service in front of us literally where the front row is here was the road and a lady was knocked over and killed right in front of us and the car actually drove off guess what we never mocked again we never laughed again because life's fragile and judgment is real and eternity beckons so I'm going to pray a prayer it's a prayer of commitment we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes so is that you know you're ready for the not yet I'm going to pray this prayer and after we pray I'm just going to say if you prayed this for the first time or maybe for some of you you've been away from God and you're coming back today then likewise you can use this prayer as a prayer of commitment to Jesus and I'm going to ask you at the end if you prayed that just to raise your hand because we would love to give you a gift we believe see in a glorified risen and soon returning Jesus and that every knee will bow but will it be now as your choice rather than the moment being forced when everyone will we're all going to pray it out loud with you just to help you because you might be doing this and feel self-conscious. Don't. Just think of God. You're saying this to God, but we'll help you because we as a church, come on church, let's pray with those that are doing this for the first time. We're connecting with God. Say this after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth as that helpless babe, living a perfect life, dying on a cross, for me but I believe you will return as the all conquering king but today 
I choose to bow my knee and make you my Lord and my leader. Forgive my foolish ways. I choose life in choosing you. In your name I pray. Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Now, heads bowed, eyes closed. Anyone who prayed that for the first time or by way of recommitment, would you just raise your hand so I can see you? Anybody here in the room, we've got a gift for you. We want a gift to you. Anybody? So, yeah, I decided. And it's my hope that you are all believers. But I, I brought this last week, and Paul's brought it again this week. We may avoid a judgment of condemnation because we're saved. But there is a judgment concerning our works. Not, not to earn our salvation, but by way of reward. And I want to just encourage us as we go, let's live lives that are careful. This life ain't all there is. There is a day of judgment. We're saved, yeah, but there's a day of judgment with the resources we've been given by way of gifts and talents and revelation. And let's not hold back from using that and be conscious of eternity. Maybe you know someone you can bring along tonight so that they can make a response and hear this. Maybe you know people you can invite next week. We've got compassion. We're going to be hearing about the work of compassion and we're going to be interviewing a young woman who went through the whole compassion program overseas and now works in the UK as a, UK, as a compassion ambassador. We'll hear her story of how God turned our life around. You maybe can bring someone that you can introduce them to this glorified risen soon coming Jesus. There's going to be a prayer team here and maybe you didn't come up to the front guys, prayer team. It's just Rosemary. Anyone else going to come and pray? Then some of the leadership team will be down here. Maybe you prayed that prayer, but you didn't raise your hand. I did that in a service years ago. And then I came and spoke to someone afterwards. And then come and speak with some of these guys here, and they'll help you. Or maybe there's an area in your life you want prayer, then they'd be most willing to pray with you. Thanks, Paul. Can we give a round of applause to Paul Reed? Paul said something that really encouraged me. I just want to say this as we finish about being devoted to death. This is what we're devoted to. We are devoted to making disciples. And therefore, there may be some hard messages that we have to bring at times. So Ange brought one a few weeks ago about sexual purity. I talked last week about death, today about the second coming. We don't want to hide from these issues because we are devoted to devoted follower of Jesus and there will be persecution and there will be choices that are hard in that but hey we're here in the long haul there's an eternity to be saved so we love and appreciate you so much we address these matters in the other room there's things of this world called coffee I think there will be coffee in heaven and the new earth so you can still have some now it's in the other room God bless you we love and appreciate you bye bye